Hello, hello, and welcome to Art Pop Talk. I'm Bianca. And I'm Gianna. Hello, everybody. We are so excited <laughs> that you are all here for our first episode. Bianca. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys could really see our um, setup here, it is... It's not um, good right it's now. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look great. For the first episode, please bear with us. We don't actually know what we're doing, but we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we hope that the sound quality is as best as it can be for this first episode, but we promise that we have the best intentions and it will get better with each episode. This podcast is very much a passion project for my sister and I, and so we are really learning as we go. Bianca? I think we should just jump right into it. For this episode today, we are going to try to keep it as casual as possible. We just want you all to get to know us, tell you a little bit about our background. Yeah. Gianna and I are sisters. We're pretty close in age. I'm 24 and Gianna's 22. <laughs> we grew up in Oklahoma, just outside Oklahoma City. We went to the same high school together, same elementary school, and then whenever we went to college, we both went to Oklahoma State University. So yeah, so we are two and a half years in age, but we're three grade levels apart. So we had one year of high school together, a lot of elementary school. Yeah, as Bianca said, I'm younger, I'm 22. We both had, I think, what we consider really great privilege to have learned about art history from a really young age. It's always something in my life that I feel like I pinpoint back to. You know, there are only so many moments that you have, but our dear mother, who of course we love and we owe so much to, actually in our elementary school, she started this PTA program. Oh yeah. Do you remember that? Imagination Express. It was, it's No, it's literally so good that- I didn't even think about that. No, she was like a groundbreaking no, PTA truly. mom. <laughs> okay, so Imagination Express was, I think it was like, what, once a month, uh. all the PTA parents would come in and they would take turns teaching an artist for every single grade level. Yes. So, so we had all these like artworks hanging up, you know, around the elementary school. Right, and like then, posters. Yeah. And then parents would come in and they would take the little artwork off the wall and bring it into the classroom. We should program. do like an Imagination Express for Mother's Day activity. Oh my god, we should. Well, you know, so... And we'll get to this as I introduce myself more, but um, I've worked at the OSU Museum of Art for three years as an education intern, and so it, it never really happened in this part of my internship, but I really wanted to do more direct partnerships with elementary schools oh, and museums yeah. because we do a lot of partnership with the public schools um, in the area. I was like, we've got to do an Imagination Express. But so anyways, that has always been a point that I feel like in our lives that I go back to at least. So from a very young age, art has just been as, as important as any other subject. I think for us, art is a way to encapsulate all these other subjects. And yeah. for me, especially like learning was pretty hard. And especially when thinking about history, oh my God, I was horrible at history. <laughs> Looking at things through the lens of art really helped put things in perspective for me. And so I think that's one of my goals to share mm -hmm. with everybody else. Like learning, it's just hard. It yeah. is. And yeah. I don't think that we acknowledge that enough. And especially for other fellow college students out there like we're just expected to learn all these things and you know learning was not mm -hmm. easy college is not easy but you know we just want to bring the things that we have learned yeah. and learn to love um into this podcast 
I really think about we have family on the East Coast. So growing up, going to family visits, you know, that was what we did. Our mom, she went to school for theater, and our aunt is a painter and a framer, and then one of our other aunts is into, like, interior design and things like that. You knows so, every paint color yeah. swatch out there. Right. Yeah. So for us, we didn't have cable growing up, and we didn't play video games, but going to art museums was just what we did, you know? And so now, I think that really translated. Now, when I go to a new city, the first thing I do is check out the art museum. I also think about that in relationship to other things as well. Our family ran their own business with, came with its own kind of, you know, family and financial Mm -hmm. struggles at the same time. So I I think about the pastimes that we did. It was also going to museums and also going to movies because that was something that we could afford to do and right. af- and afford to go and we also grew up watching like old movies at home and the so old movies are a big thing in our house right. for sure so that part of the film industry or that part of art or entertainment you know that's also been equally yeah. kind of a- an important part of yeah. our upbringing I was also thinking about our dad owned his own construction company, and so growing up, it's fun, it's kind of cool, Gianna will tell you about herself in a little bit, how she does sculpture, but our dad, because he was in construction, had a workshop at our house. We used to make what we called sculptures, what was just gluing little wood box. We should find some pictures of us making sculptures oh, and like wood. post them. Dad would give us this like, big bottle of wood glue and all of his just wood discards like shavings and stuff yeah and he'd be like have at it yeah <laughs> you but know? That was, and we had like birthday parties where everybody wanted to come over and right. make sculptures and we would glue like pom-poms and paint them and yeah stuff like they that. were cool we totally have pictures of those yeah yeah, yeah we should fun. put them on the instagram yeah i know i our family is so creative it's wild it is pretty wild pretty lucky i, I know think. yeah do you wanna <laughs> tell everybody a little bit about yourself. A little bit about myself. Yeah, so I came directly into college knowing what I wanted to do. I think it was only like second semester of my freshman year. I decided to go ahead and officially declare my major going for a BFA, my bachelor's in fine arts. And actually in a week here, I will be getting that degree, <laughs> which is pretty exciting. I'm sure a lot of our fellow graduates out there you know, are feeling a lot of the same things I'm feeling with not having a graduation and ending your time in college mm-hmm. in this way, but just letting you know, I, I feel all the things you're feeling and, yeah. and we're here for each other. A big, big shout out to all the graduates this yeah. semester. Yeah, this situation definitely does not diminish or overshadow any of your accomplishments out there, so congratulations to all of my fellow graduating seniors. Yeah, so I went into college knowing that I wanted to explore fine art and art history. In college, taking classes like art history and also humanities classes like gender and women's studies, I really found this intersection between feminism and art, in which I really explored that throughout my own work. I decided my junior year, I think, to officially declare my medium as sculpture. So my primary is sculpture and my secondary is printmaking. 
very kind of meticulous, hands-on mediums. Yeah, I explore a lot of feminist themes, especially talking about women in relationship to a consumerist and contemporary environment. I use a lot of found objects like tampons and pads, and I cast them, and I put them with the body. So yeah, so I have an artist Instagram, all that fun stuff. You guys can keep up with all my work. Your well, turn. I started at OSU not as an art history major, but as a, it's HRAD, Hotel Restaurant Administration. I thought I wanted for a long time to be an events planner, which I somewhat do now, I have done, but I thought I wanted to do events like for art museums. So I went into ATRAD and I was going to minor in art history. In high school, I took AP art history with one of the most amazing, amazing public school teachers I've ever known in my life. I just, I think about her all the time, how she changed my life. I mean, if I hadn't have taken that art history class, I don't know what I'd be (laughs) doing. I don't know what I'd be doing right now, you know? Well, and we both, did you get your AP credit? Yes, for Yeah, so I think that was amazing for us because we went into college and we didn't have to take these, you know, intro to our history. I did. I, I, I got, did? yeah, no, I did. I took intro. I think I got out of a studio class. I took intro to studio, okay. which actually I really didn't get the opportunity to take many studio classes for credit. You know, I would have had to gone to like another art institute to to take classes outside. Mm -hmm. I only took like intro to drawing and I think my AP art history credit either counted for something else or like an elective or another humanities, like another gen ed. But I I took intro one and two. Interesting. Art history. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just because I was getting it as a minor, I clepped out of intro like one and two. The first art history class I took in college was Renaissance and it was amazing. It was hard. So I started with an art history minor, and I got one semester into hotel restaurant administration, and I really hated that for me. I don't know why, I just, I I don't know, it was like, I just remember sitting in class being like, that's absolutely not what I want to be doing, and I knew that I liked art history, so I just switched. I mean, I thought maybe, I guess I'd just go into event planning for art museums, but I didn't even know what I was going to do with my art history degree, really. So yeah, I switched full over to art history, and I didn't declare a minor actually until my senior year, so I thought about minoring in French for a while. I started with that too late, and I couldn't finish the credits, but then I ended up minoring also in gender and women's studies. Gianna and I were both in the Feminist Coalition student organization at OSU, joining feminist coalition and declaring a minor I feel like that all happened my senior year and I think it really solidified that I have these interests and there's a place for that within art history I felt like for an undergrad I mean I felt I seemed to be doing okay in that area so when it was time for graduation I felt like I was just ready to to go straight to grad school. I knew I wasn't ready to kind of look for a job, find a job. It's hard straight out of undergrad. I mean, it would have been impossible, you know, I think for me to find something that I really wanted to do, putting my degrees to good use and knowing what I want out of that. So I went straight to grad school also at Oklahoma State. And I just, I loved it. I mean, I I miss it so much. I miss my friends. I miss the program. And I miss just talking about art. I remember when 
you, when you graduated yeah. and you were applying for jobs, you were like, I miss homework and I research. miss homework so much. I know, grass I, is always greener, my friend. You know what? <laughs> Last night I was reading an article that I read in grad school to prep for today's recording and I was reading it at, like, 12.30 last night, and I was so happy. I was so <laughs> excited. I was reading about the Arnolfini portrait. So I graduated almost a year ago now. We need to talk about your living situation. A really good thing to point out is Bianca does not live in Oklahoma anymore. <laughs> she has technically, what, left the nest, flown the coop, what's the term? Yeah, those are good. Those are good. Um, I feel like I, like, mix them up. Let's, I feel like we should talk about your job now that you're, yes. like, an adult woman. I'm an A adult. working woman. I got two degrees and can do something with it. So, yeah, I, I graduated in May 2019. Yeah. I moved back in with my mom. I started applying for jobs in February of 2019, and half the time, like, didn't hear anything back half the time they were like yeah no they were kind enough to send a rejection I think I only went on a, I don't know a handful of interviews for a full-time job so I, I was working I'm a certified events planner so I worked for an event planner in Oklahoma throughout college to kind of get some extra money but it's it's extremely useful so I, I started working as an event planner after graduation and then I started doing docent training for Oklahoma Contemporary. And then I was also working at the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, doing tours there. So then in, I think it was October, I got a call from a art museum in Pennsylvania. And we did a first interview, and then they called me and asked me to fly in for a second interview in person. And that was in November. Yeah, so I started, I moved to Pennsylvania in mid-January, and I was living in an Airbnb for a little bit because my apartment wasn't ready until February 1st, and so then I moved into my apartment, and then mid-March, I started working from home, and my staff told me I could come back to Oklahoma and work here I drove back to Oklahoma after only being in my apartment for like a month and a half. And now I've been here for a little over a month. You know, when you left, it was obviously really hard. I feel like as you guys can tell, we are very close, obviously. Actually, in college, we even lived together for two mm -hmm. years. We have been surrounded by the same group of people. We hang out with the same friends, same colleagues, professors. And so, yeah, it was, you know, obviously it was where you need to go. And, you know, we feel so fortunate that you were able to come back yeah. safely. So, yeah, right now at work, I'm doing marketing, communications, events, programs, a lot of digital stuff, which is kind of, I guess, newer for me in in thinking about it in... Um, like a museum context, because I've worked in other museums before. Like Gianna, I worked at the OSU Museum of Art as an undergrad and in grad school doing different things like an education, curatorial stuff. I've curated a few shows. I've curated some projects like around OSU's campus in Oklahoma City, co-curated some stuff. And my thesis is actually about, I mean, I'd say it's kind of on a similar path to Gianna's work, 
it's about Judy Chicago's The Dinner Party, and I think we'll, um, we'll dive into some of that next time. But uh, it's, it's about, you know, art history and feminist spaces and how the two are problematic and how we work around them and how we showcase them. I feel like a lot of what we will address and what I have noticed through even out our research and exploring these like intersections with pop culture and feminism and art history, it's mm-hmm. really you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And yeah, so throughout this mm-hmm. podcast, I think that's definitely going to be a major theme is yeah. the contradictory the theme. The major theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Gian, I was going to ask you. So something I'm sure if you guys are artists or art historians, you get this all the time. But when you're talking to someone, they always ask, so what, who's your favorite artist? You know? So I Impossible thought. Possible question. I thought Gianna would ask you. You can, you can say your favorite artwork or favorite artist. I don't know if ours are going to be the same. as. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So when I think of my all-time favorite painting, it is always going to be Botticelli's Birth of Venus. Me and Bianca actually have matching seashell tattoos for Venus because for us, Venus encapsulates everything we love. It explores the realms of art history, mm-hmm. Renaissance, Botticelli's style, which is beautiful, pop culture, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. (laughs) I think that obviously is one of my all-time favorite paintings. Mm -hmm. I think as of recently in exploring my artists that have like directly affected my capstone work in which that was part of my research that I had to present in my capstone course. So some of the artists that you know of lately I've been really attracted to are uh, Zoe Buckman, she is a contemporary feminist artist. She does the ovary piece with the boxing gloves that's mm-hmm. like neon. Also, another artist right now is previously David- married to uh, oh, yeah, Ross from Friends. Yeah, she David Schwimmer. Is mar- she was married to David Schwimmer and she's British and she's also like and she's British, <laughs> she's British <laughs> and she's like gorgeous. And I'm, I'm really just jealous of her. Yeah, I don't know. I love her. No, she's really cool and. We can talk about her work more later, but she has Mm -hmm. a lot of the same... She talks a lot about the same things that I do in my work. And also, David Altmage is one that I've been looking at. He is Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) He creates these bodies that are neither in a state of, like, creation or destruction. They're just in the state of... uh, Yeah, so he's really great. And he also uses, like, plaster and really manipulates these bodies in really interesting ways, which I do as well. I really break down and manipulate specifically the female form. And he brings his figurative work, I think, to a different perspective as um, he uses a queer perspective and he can sexualize bodies, again, create, destroy them. So, yeah, he's really interesting. I think he's really been an influence, like, visually Mm -hmm. in my work. Yeah. Um, but that's just, it's its such a hard question. Yeah. I f- was thinking this might be a good segue into what art history is like, ha- and how Gianna and I are thinking about it as we move forward. So my favorite painting <laughs> is Botticelli's Birth of Venus. I was thinking about this last night because sometimes I say that with, I mean, not the notion that everybody knows what it is, but... It's just, for for me, I was thinking, it's just, I always describe it as being, like, so art history. There's something about it that epitomizes the study of art. God, I, I love this piece so much. Like, she's so be- she's so beautiful. I just, I, I love her so much, Venus. 
But I was thinking about she's white and all the people, all the figures in that painting are white and she's skinny and she she's Venus. Like she represents this vision of Western ideal beauty mm-hmm. and she's she's not real. Like she's a mythical figure too and we place so much pressure, I think, on on something like Venus. I, yeah, I was just thinking last night, my favorite piece of art is so problematic and you know when an artist I don't know when you talk about birth of Venus in like a an academic setting or like a classroom like it's it's obviously part of your intro classes if you've taken an art history class you've seen it oh and a little sidebar Gianna and I are also going to post any images that we talk about on our website we'll post them on Instagram we'll also post any resources or books stuff like that that we talk about in episode um, on our website and our social media so just so you guys know if you don't know what we're talking about you can head over to our website and it'll be there for you yeah I was thinking like when you talk about birth of Venus in an elevated context maybe not intro one or two I don't know I feel like I get laughed at for saying it's my favorite painting like it's too art history like it's so like consumer based you know what I mean well another it's like saying your favorite painting is the Mona Lisa well when you talk to an academic like like, I feel like I'd be shunned for being like my favorite painting is the birth of Venus so I think also what you said just about this bubble of academia is that also there's so much writing about the renaissance and yeah I think that you, that was a hurdle that you faced in writing your thesis. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much writing on this already. Yeah. There's so much writing on this. So talk about something different. Right. But that's still a part of our history. And as new works of art are, are formed, things are happening, we're evolving. All those things are going to inform decisions or how we view about even past artworks. Yeah. And I think for Venus, she's also in her modest Venus pose, which is something we see over and over and over again in contemporary works and throughout the art world. And so that is maybe a very quintessential example. And maybe academia is done with it, but I'm not. Yeah. You know, we we couldn't go without mentioning miss lady gaga oh of course you know i will write it on my gravestone like art pop was not a bad album no it was and it's so good it literally was it and just the applause music video my my background on my computer is lady gaga posing as venus and i just i don't think that people really understand what that means to me like in my heart of hearts lady gaga posing as venus in my favorite painting of something that i care so much about well, okay, I feel like with that being said, yeah. we should really go into and tell you guys really why we wanted to start this podcast. And it is for reasons like that, you know, like Lady Gaga being Venus and her art pop album. And even if, you know, people think that that example or those ideals can be trivial and mm-hmm. maybe they're not important and maybe in the grand scheme of things in comparison to other things, yeah. maybe they're not. Right. But that doesn't mean that we can have this deeper appreciation for these little moments that happen throughout pop culture that we just they're they're like little easter eggs you know everybody Mm -hmm. loves finding those Ooh, yeah it's so satisfying you know gianna and i talk about all the time we have these deep loves for objects and things and the visual you know or the sensory too you know it doesn't have to be you you don't just experience art with your eyes Mm -hmm. you listen to it and you feel it and you touch it and you know it's bodily and sensory so for us maybe it's lady gaga and the birth of venus 
And other people have that thing that I think it's kind of unexplainable sometimes why you like or love something so much and you, and you feel it with such passion. But when you get into this kind of realm of academia or art, art history or a museum setting or sometimes you feel degraded for liking something that's so popular. Right. Gianna said liking something that's so that seems so trivial to the trained eye. And those are issues that I think we'll also address throughout this podcast because when we talk about pop culture we're also going to talk about things that are trendy and you know the positive and negative connotations that can Mm -hmm. come with that and I also think you know for us I think feminism can be one of those things yeah that is just another intersection that we'll explore but I think what Bianca said it's this idea that we're going to be judged for liking this or not judged Mm -hmm. for liking that and when we are looking at a piece of art or talking about a piece of art at any point in this podcast, it is important to understand that still the the viewer relationship between the object and the person is very internal and it's very independent between you and the artwork. So it's okay if we are talking about a piece of art and you don't feel that same connection or that same passion mm-hmm. to it. I promise you're, I don't want you to think, oh, what am I missing? I'm not getting it. I feel dumb for not understanding this. Because it really comes down to the simple idea of you like it or you don't like Mm -hmm. it. And that is totally okay. Exploring art can be a challenging thing and it has been done in environments that are not always inclusive. And I think that is really the goal for Bianca and I in creating Art Pop Talk is we want it to be an inclusive dialogue between us and between you all as listeners and hear what your thoughts are on this work. We are coming from our own lens because we have only lived this one human experience where you all have lived these other experiences. So therefore, we are all going to have different interpretations Mm -hmm. about one piece of artwork. And to me, that is fascinating. So I think at the end of episodes, especially when we list references onto our resource page on our website, we truly want to know what your thoughts are because you would be so surprised how your thoughts and your perspective on things will really educate us because I Mm -hmm. promise we won't have seen something that you have seen. Yeah. I guess one of my favorite art history resources is Khan Academy. Smart History's Khan Academy says, Art history might seem like a relatively straightforward concept, art and history. They're subjects that we studied in elementary school, basically. But in practice, the idea of the history of art raises complex questions. What exactly do we mean by art? And what kind of histories we explore? So to Gianna's point, we we just don't know everything. And we're not going to know everything. We're not going to see every piece of art. And it, it's kind of wild because there are so many resources at our disposal. We have Instagram. We have social media. Gianna and I have access to museums. Museums are, you know, going digital. But at the same time, it's it's overwhelming to possibly know the entire history of art. So, you know, art is experiential. So please enlighten us and please share with us your thoughts on whatever we're talking about. Art history is this kind of liberal arts humanity part of academic learning, but I feel like art history feels inaccessible 
because it it feels very distanced from all those other subjects even though it's it's that's what it's about it's about political science it's about philosophy and literature and theater and it's also about stem too i hate using stem so i would like to encourage everyone to use steam yes. and incorporate that a for me you know art history is about scientific advancement and engineering and architecture and mathematics the amount of math it takes to make something proportional, Mm -hmm. you know, is incredible or to have depth, like the correct depth perception. So I want to just make sure we're not writing off all of these things that art history actually encompasses because, you know, and I think sometimes we do it to ourselves, you know, we think that we're this open-minded, incredibly liberal, you know, we're so inclusive here in art history because we, we talk about all these different things. But sometimes we're not, so I just want to address that we are hyper aware of the fact that art history, art museums feel extremely inaccessible. So I wanted to think about what we've said about art history and transfer that to the museum setting. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really interesting when we also just look back to the original content or context of museums and why they were created. And it was this very classist, Western hierarchical setting in which we were exploiting other cultures, other people, humans. So it really just comes from this super problematic part of our history. And so I think one, it's just important to acknowledge that part of of museum history. Museums have been created by the wealthy, for the wealthy, Mm -hmm. and have, you know, stolen Mm -hmm. art and cultural icons from other people and other countries Mm -hmm. that were thought of as lesser than. Right. So I think for us in our background, starting at a university museum, you know, just that idea of inclusivity was really kind of drilled in our brains early on. For working at a university-affiliated museum, our first priority was really to engage these college students and how to get them to the museum. And we're very fortunate to have traveling exhibitions come in to show different interests, themes, and ideas. I remember we went from showing a feminist exhibition to a environmental exhibition talking about water pollution Mm -hmm. and plastic and microorganisms eating the plastic, therefore we eat plastic. So just showing a really great range and diversity of interests. So you would think that more people would take advantage of engaging with these exhibitions, but also engaging with the artists that come in who are also artists and scientists and researchers that are putting information out there that can, you know, be really helpful to these students embarking on their academic and, you know, careers after college. But getting students to come to the museum, I mean, it's, it was hard. And I think for me, as an education intern, that was always my main priority mm-hmm. and what I was passionate about because I'm, you know, I'm straddling the lines between two worlds. I'm a college student and I'm also here working at the museum. So it just seemed like a natural fit. I really wanted to bring college students in, get them engaged, show how many resources there were for a range of students that were applicable to their major. And it's definitely 
not something that I felt like was resolved for me and my time at that institution. And I think it's something that a lot of other universities, museums are struggling with. I want to bring that kind of insight that I've had Mm -hmm. at the museum into this podcast and also just the conversations that I've had you know with tours I lead very conversation-based tours because unfortunately no one actually does want to listen to me talk for an hour but (laughs) here we are that is maybe the drawback of of a podcast is I would like it to be conversation-based and that's where I really want to call on you all to comment on our Instagram look at a research page we want to create a dialogue with you as much as possible Because that's how I function as a person who is, you know, learning to be a museum educator. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, we asked a question or a few questions on our Instagram. And the first one was, why do you like and or not like art and art history? And then the next question was, what do you like or not like about pop culture? So I wanted to kind of go through some of the responses because I think they were pretty helpful and kind of to set the tone for this podcast or what Gianna and I hope this will be overall and bring to you guys overall. One of our first responses was, it objectifies women in most cases. And I read that, I was like, oh shit, yeah. I was like, man, like art sucks. Women are objectified all the time. That's all we are. It's just like decorative objects on the wall, blah, blah. (laughs) And then I realized that this person was responding to the question about pop culture, not about art history. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, we think of pop culture sometimes or, or, and, and pop culture, you know, is a loose word that we're using. I think anything pop culture for us is a relevant or contemporary experience, um, something that you encounter. Because I think we all have different definitions and understandings of of how we engage in pop culture. Like we watch different TV, we watch different mu- movies, we listen to different music, but that doesn't mean that it's not a, right. a group within popular culture. So I just thought it was interesting how my mind immediately went to objectification and art history rather than objectification and contemporary culture. Right. I also had someone, we had someone respond saying, the Kardashians, I just don't get why they're famous. (laughs) And, you know, Gianna and I were talking about this, and I don't know that, maybe we've watched some episodes of Kardashians, and we obviously know who they are, and I think they're an overused, perhaps, example of popular culture. Maybe that's just because they're Maybe that's how, how so many of us define it. But I was thinking about, you know, what is art history's Kardashian family, you know? Mm-hmm. and I, The I, Medici's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, you know, I wonder what the Kardashians are going to look like two, three hundred years from now. Are they going to be the Medici family? Or, I mean, Ky- Kylie produces... Her makeup her line. makeup line or the TV show are those going to be archived is the Kardashian lifestyle going to be an archive of what the Medicis were for their popular culture at the time commissioning right. so much art everybody knows who Picasso is Ugh, yeah right we'll get into that but like you know people think Picasso's oh this great guy whatever okay yes we'll, we'll get there like he's, no, he's groundbreaking and he did things that put the history of art in motion and that that must be recognized but okay so should we does that for us mean that we should not recognize whether we like them or not the kardashians the kardashians i don't know us talking about them that makes them a point right of reference right and this is not the first time they have come up 
they come up so often in seminar classes or any point where we're talking about pop culture. Right. You know, and I think we're quick to discount the conversation, like whether you like them, agree with them or not, or whether you understand how they really got famous. And, you know, honestly, it it is something that even kind of confuses me. But I think that's kind of beside the point a little bit is how how did they become famous or like why are we caught up on this notion but mm. really what Chris Jenner did I mean she's really like a very an strategic businesswoman business yeah. building an empire by personally yeah. branding herself and her yeah. family you can't discredit that kind of whether yeah. you agree with how she chose to use her family maybe yeah. in that way or what you think there's a, a larger, there's obviously a larger political conversation to be had about sure. wealth and class and money. Gianna and I are in the process of reading Bad Feminist, and it's it's by Roxanne Gay, and it's just incredible. It's so good, and I just, I can't recommend it enough. Oh. Like, if you just read the first chapter, she tells you straight up, you are not going to solve the issue of feminism. And I think that's mm-hmm. something to be said, you know, she, in the book, Roxane Gay talks about the TV show Girls, how it's held to this quintessential kind of standard for something that's supposed to be progressive. And I wonder if the Kardashians are kind of in a similar place, because right now, for people, for maybe younger people who just see Kylie as like an influencer, mm-hmm. you know, or, or Kim now has skims, I wonder if there's a different I don't know, standard that they're held to, you know, because there are other billionaires and millionaires out there. And do we know about every single one of them? Do we know what they're doing? Well, and I also think that as they evolve and as the reality show, the Kardashians Mm -hmm. evolve, I think they also hold themselves to different standards as well because you know now Kim has she has skims but now she's also like a freaking lawyer yeah (laughs) say what you want about where she came from but at the same time I think that she is trying to put some good out into the world yeah and I think that we get so hung up on like the negatives or like we don't understand why these people are famous they're just yes on a completely different level that can be extremely hard to relate to yeah I think that they're also you know, just trying to put some good out in the world, too, and just trying to better yeah. themselves. And whether that's making up for bad things that they do, we don't we, we don't, don't know. know. But I think, it, yeah, definitely read Bad Feminist. Gianna and I, I'm sure, will keep referring to it. But there's a, the chapter about girls, I think, relates to this conversation, the different standards that we hold things in popular culture to. And I think that is where... And we can wrap up the Kardashians here in a Mm -hmm. minute. But I think maybe why the Kardashians do become this prevalent point in which we refer back to in pop culture is because they're iconic because they have set a trend for also, I think, beauty standards, a lot of different other intersecting elements within pop culture. So, which And like this this um, response to one of our Instagram questions. What Gianna and I are talking about right now, again, we are not trying to solve the entire problem of wealth, inequality, beauty standards in this five minutes that we've been talking about the Kardashians. Eventually, you know, we'll probably do an hour, two hour long conversation about it. This is just, again, harping on the point that Gianna and I want to start 
a conversation. You know, we don't want it to be aggressive, even though (laughs) we'll probably get, we're so opinionated, we'll probably get heated. It's not at a place of ignorance, I think. And I'm sure there are many a thing that we are ignorant about, Mm -hmm. but it's not because we we don't understand what the Kardashians are representing to a lot of people and and what they, how they function in our country. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to also talk about the question, what do you like or not like about art and art history. This person said, I hate academic gatekeeping. And so I wanted to kind of reissue this point. Gianna, this also relates to the Instagram post we did. Um, I love a good academic fuck you. I was reading this article last night and it, it reminded me about academic cherry picking and how in academia, we, nobody knows everything. You know, there's no possible way you can cite every single thing, every single source, every author, artist, researcher in one article. You pick what you want to pick to make your point. And there's this article that talks about art historians are essentially creating their own story. Like, yes, there are facts and there are dates and There is the history element of art history, but art historians build this story that they're trying to tell you. And so this idea about academic gatekeeping, you have this story and you're privy to this knowledge and you've cherry picked what you want to share, but it's like you're not allowed to share it with anybody else. You know what I mean? Like it Mm -hmm. feels very self isolating. Mm -hmm. There are stories that I've been told when I was in grad school about you better not present your work at a conference if it's not published because some other art historian or member at a conference or whatever is just going to take your work and take your story and claim it as their own story. I just can't imagine. I mean, it's hard because there's also the, you know, these ideas about like, is it possible for two people on opposite sides of the earth to come up with the same idea at the same time and write about the same research at the same time. But art historians, you know, I've been told are so scared of other people taking their work, which I think is just, it's fascinating how that gets translated into a museum or artistic setting. Mm -hmm. A museum sometimes, you know, feels weirdly opposite to the being locked in your room or a library writing about an object that maybe no one ever sees you know what I mean right absolutely no I just feel like the most fitting way I can get back at someone is (laughs) with my art um I just love a good academic slam because it is just there's nothing more satisfying than be like oh no actually like it's actually this and then having something to back that up oh here's a really great article that I can send you on this which In my case, in trying to create work from a feminist perspective has posed a lot of challenges for me uh, in my undergraduate career. I have been told uh, many times that I should explore a different idea or that this ideology is clearly not supported by Mm. this specific professor or, you know, just other people in my class. And then I think also it is really just important to point out the environment in you know which I am creating and in the context of not only my 
city, but also my state at the same time. Me and Bianca were born and raised in Oklahoma. We love Oklahoma. It's our home. It'll always be our home. But going to a college in a conservative environment was really hard for me at a lot Mm -hmm. of points throughout my artistic career. And even if you think in the art department, there's bound to be more liberal people in there. Like, sure, absolutely. Yes, there there are liberal people in the art (laughs) department. There are liberal people everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, But I think that's what you were saying earlier. We may, you know, think the same about healthcare or something Mm -hmm. like that, or we may vote for the same candidate, or we may not. Mm -hmm. But, and maybe we, in the end, what we want is to help the greater good. Right. But, you know, when you're in that environment, it, it gets down to the nitty gritty and you feel judged so much of the time in a place that prides itself on being open and inclusive. Absolutely. And it's not, you know what I mean? And, yeah. You know, when I was writing my thesis, like Gianna said about the dinner party, something that's been hashed, you know, a million and times over again, I got asked, why are you still writing about this? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, you know, I felt there were things that I still wanted to say and they they related to me and they related to the way that I experienced the world and I you know in my thesis of course I bring up other experiences as well as well because that's the whole point is to kind of make is is to make room for everybody or mm-hmm. find a way to acknowledge people other than yourself it's weird to be critiqued for writing about something that you feel matters, you know, or creating something that you feel is, is so personal, Absolutely. Um, but then it feels like you're not allowed sometimes to share that. Yeah. And I feel like for me in, you know, making work about feminism, I, especially for my first time in creating a concentration of, you know, a cohesive body of work, I wanted it to be a situation and make work that obviously had affected me, had affected, you know, close people around me, other mm-hmm. women, but was, you know, also far removed in that sense that it's not just me. So right. when I'm like up there and I'm speaking about my work, I'm not just going to burst out into tears because it's so personal. Because yeah. although we have our own personal ideas and we carry out feminism in very different ways, you know, in me talking about like toxicity of feminine products and, you know, other things within our consumerist mm-hmm. culture and how they directly affect the health and well-being mm-hmm. of women. It, it's far removed enough to where I feel comfortable using that platform to mm-hmm. talk about this matter within, you know, my country or within my culture. But it's not just directly and only affecting me. Yeah. Yeah, so it was interesting. And, I mean, to say in the end, you know, there were some people that didn't necessarily support my ideas and that was really hard in the beginning to not have I mean that's what your professors and your mentors are there for you should start with a bad idea and like you should have someone help because we have many bad ideas many bad ideas and and from the beginning I and when I first presented this thesis essentially to my capstone reviewers I had a totally different body of sculptural work that I was showing and it I've, I have stayed the course, I have stayed with the same concept, but it has completely changed visually into yeah. a different body of artwork. And, you know, thank you to eventually all the wonderful mentors and professors I did have. To close, 
you know, Gianna and I just want to reiterate the fact that Gianna and I like a lot of things that a lot of other people don't like, and that's okay. And that goes for art, that goes for works of art and artists, but that goes for us, like, watching The Fucking Bachelor. And I think we'll we'll get into that. We want to make this a space where Gianna and I can talk about what we like and how we feel, and hopefully how other people are feeling too. You know, if you're in the arts or, or, you know, any subject and you feel, um, you know, you have these connections to things outside of your, you know, area of work or study or research or whatever, like, that's okay. And I think finding those points of relation and not making anyone feel bad about watching a stupid movie or, you know, people think this is stupid for, or, you know, this is problematic for, for mm-hmm. what reason? Okay, like, let's talk about that. So I think that's what Gianna and I are really trying to do is, is we know that we like a bunch of shit that is problematic and creates mm-hmm. huge cultural problems. But, but also, like, I think this is a place where we want to evaluate, like, what we study and what we're passionate about. Art history is not super clean cut. You know, it's messy and dirty and extremely problematic and i and i don't mm-hmm. think art his art history and and many art historians are self-aware enough to to kind of evaluate the hypocrisy you know within our subject or, or with any subject so again like we we just want to make this relatable and you know cross or what's what we're looking for interdisciplinary Mm -hmm. any last minute thoughts well you said it sis (laughs) of course um everything that we talked about today was just a brief overview of hopefully what we will really be getting down to the nitty-gritty um in these next coming episodes so you'll get to hear more about bianca's thesis you'll get to hear more about what i'm doing and my artistic practice Mm -hmm. um in these quarantine times and you know we hope that you all are staying safe out there yes um again congratulations to all these graduating seniors i know it's a big time these next coming weeks for a lot of you hang in there and we will talk to you all next week thank you guys so much for putting up with us and for allowing us to figure things out while we get started so yeah we'll talk to you guys on tuesday thanks everyone bye bye